Good morning. We're going to continue where we left off last week in Mark 14, coming straight out of the garden and heading straight into the rest of Jesus. Last week, what we got to observe of Jesus was this, that He was in deep agony at the highest levels of angst that we know uh, humans to go through as He surveys the cross, meeting with the Father in the garden. He knows that the redemption of mankind will mean the temporary separation of Him with the Father. Not wanting this separation, He personally desires another way. But as we'll see today, He was completely resolved to the Father's will, even if the Father's perfect plan wasn't His own first preference. And that is something that we need to learn today. Jesus desires for His church to be just as resolved to the Father's plan above their own preferences as He was. The main point entitled today's sermon is this, that Jesus gave Himself up. We cannot be mistaken about it. No one takes Jesus' life from Him. He willingly gave Himself as God's perfect sacrifice and as a ransom for many. We are a people becoming. Because as His church, we are allowed to ask for another way, just like Jesus did of the Father. But when one doesn't exist, just like Jesus, we have to be resolved as Jesus to do whatever the Father asks of us. Jesus could not escape the cross. I don't know your specific call that He's placed on your life, but maybe... Just like me, we have to be resolved enough to answer and do whatever He asks. Maybe we too as disciples have to give ourselves up. So let's look right into Mark 14, verse 42. As Jesus comes out of the garden in that time of prayer, He finds His disciples and He says, Rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. Just as He was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With Him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. And now the betrayer had arranged a signal with him. The one that I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once, Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the Scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus, but when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving behind his garment. The point Jesus gave himself up really comes to play in verse 48. It says this, Am I leading a rebellion? that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the Scriptures must be fulfilled, and this is the point. Jesus willingly, they didn't need shackles, they didn't need chains, they didn't need cuffs. He would have willingly gone with them because He was resolved the moment He entered the planet and had that stamp of approval that we witnessed last week in the garden to go with Him and willingly give Himself up. No one was taking His life from him, And he's telling them as they come, look, you wouldn't have been allowed to take me prior to now. Every single thing that is happening right now is because the Father has planned it for a specific time. And this is so that the Scriptures may be fulfilled. We see Jesus' very devout response to the Father as he willingly goes with his capturers in this moment. But we also witness three distinct responses from disciples as well right here in this passage. And they are that he's betrayed with a kiss. I'm going to talk about Judas' betrayal in a moment. That he is defended by the sword. I'm going to talk about Peter's defense of him for a moment in a moment. 
And then I want to talk about how he's deserted without dignity by an unnamed disciple. First, let's look at Judas' betrayal with a kiss. This is a sign of endearment, a false sense of affection and devotion. This sign is called on in Luke 22 with a word that says cataphileo. It means prolonged kiss. Here it's designed and said that it was a signal. As Judas betrays Jesus with this act of endearment, he's betraying the only person that ever saw him as more than just a thief. And this is the weight of Judas' kiss. We have to consider that he'd historically only been known as a swindler, always overcome by personal greed. But yet Jesus calls him as a disciple, and when he does, places him over the finances of the other eleven. And this traveling band of disciples, these nomadic disciples, are now subject to whatever Judas, who's the overseer of the finances, deems with the money. It says that when Jesus was betrayed by him in Matthew 26, he responded to Judas by saying, Come, do what you came to do. (laughs) Jesus giving this responsibility to Judas in their ministry and during this time, it's almost as if Jesus was saying, There is not another person on the planet that believes in you. There's no one else that believes in you, but I'm going to trust you and make everyone around you that's nomadically traveling with you dependent upon you. And besides, I'm the Lord. So I can literally cover every loss that we suffer because of you because it said in the Gospels that he often helped himself to the money bag. Earlier in this chapter in Mark 14, there's, uh, Mark is reflecting on something that happened a week prior to Jesus' last week in uh, Jerusalem, this, this week that we're looking at right here. He reflects on a time where Judas leads the conversation about a woman who had uh, poured out a, the most expensive known perfume, it was an alabaster jar full of pure nard that he pour, she pours over Jesus, anointing his head with this nearly priceless perfume. And it says that this charge against this woman comes from Judas and those who were there. He gets them riled up. He wants Jesus to rebuke her, but his desire and fight for this rebuke isn't genuine. It was simply a false accusation to cover his own true intent. He didn't speak up because he was offended by the act of wastefulness, but rather he was offended by the lack of personal profit that he could now gain because this spilt perfume is all over Jesus and all over the floor. He was going to miss out because, yet again, he was someone who often helped himself to the disciples' money bag, and here, this is one more place where he cannot profit, but yet he deems it as a place where he could have taken the money from sold perfume, said priceless perfume, and fed many. But Jesus, allowing this to happen with this woman, is almost as if it's almost as if this is the straw that breaks the camel's back for Judas. Because after this, it says that he planned to portray Jesus, and he found the chief priests and did his deal with them. This deal was a betrayal that was sealed with this kiss and an admission of a student's inferiority to his master as he calls Jesus Rabbi, signaling the guards and seizing him. This signaling only evoked Peter to thrust a sword. His response in this prolonged kiss, this this kiss is not true devotion, it's just a sign so he can be arrested, evokes Peter to thrust a sword with the next human disciple's response, that Peter wrongfully defended Jesus by the sword. Probably 
still uh, wearied from the fact that just over a few hours before, Jesus had said, you'll be just like the rest. You'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. You'll desert me just like everyone else, Peter. Though you say you're devoted here at this table at the Last Supper, you're going to desert me too. And I will give you an opportunity in the garden to stand, watch, and pray. But because you're so wearied about what I've said to you, you're going to fall asleep every time. And I'm going to come and I'm going to approach you and I'm going to call you by a name that shows your human response and fear. I'm going to call you Simon. And it's almost as if Peter has this moment as his, as his capturers come that he wants to prove. It's like, he called me Simon, but I'm going to prove to him otherwise. I'm going to show Jesus my devotion. And so he pulls this sword, and in this moment, he, he's afraid of the mob. He's mortified by Jesus' pronouncement of him as a deserter, and he tries to prove his devotion by cutting off the head of a Roman soldier. John 18 calls this soldier Malchus and names it both there and in Luke 22 that the, the disciple who pulls the sword is, in fact, Peter from Mark 14. The irony is this. He was aiming for the head and he cuts off this man's ear. Whether it was Malchus ducking or just the humanity of Peter, he missed his head and he cuts off his ear. We know that the other Gospels record that Jesus actually took the ear and healed the man, uh, his very capture, and blessed him even before he's taken off to face and stand trial and the cross. But I've always wondered, and that's maybe just me, the weird side of me, what, what if Malchus didn't duck? And what if Peter were able to actually connect and cut off his head? Wouldn't that be a cooler miracle that like you see this decapitation, the head falls and rolls to the ground, everyone's gasping in response, and then Jesus goes, ah, oh, Peter, grabs the head and just, wouldn't that be awesome? It wouldn't be outside of his, his capabilities. Peter, in his effort to prove his further devotion to Jesus only exposes further his humanity. Jesus, in response, heals a man that's come to arrest him and then willingly goes along with him, not even in need of the shackles. Because Jesus' response in this moment is so still devout on what the Father wants that he offers grace to all those who are around who are responding in fear. And that brings us to the last response we see here. The last response is deserting him without dignity. This is only recorded in Mark's gospel, and this can be considered by many as insignificant, but I think it's important, otherwise Mark wouldn't have mentioned it. Some have speculated, and this is solely speculative, that this young man is actually John Mark himself. That's why he doesn't name himself in the gospel, and he refers to how he himself ran away from Jesus in a time where he could show devotion foolishly and nakedly into the night just to save his own skin. Again, that's solely speculative. We can't say this is, in fact, John Mark. But the picture here is of a young man that had been awakened in the middle of the night, hearing the commotion of Jesus' betrayal as the mob goes past his house. He gets up from a bed, donning only a linen sheet to go investigate, following the mob to the garden. That night, it says that when they recognize him as one that would have been aligned with Jesus, a guard grasps for him, only grabbing the sheet, and he flees in the nude to save his own skin, devoid of shame to save his own life, as he too deserts Jesus. Solely, Jesus is left alone, captured, 
arrested to be killed. If this young man would have been uh, captured alongside of him, he would have suffered the same fate of Jesus. That's why all of the disciples leave him. This picture exists in Mark's account of this young deserter who runs away naked because it wants to symbolize one thing, how utterly alone Jesus was in his last moments. How utterly alone he was in his last minutes, and he was willing to go through with it. This was the Father's plan for him. He has to be willing to walk it alone. And here's the thing, church, we must be willing to walk it alone ourselves as well. The human responses in this passage were all in common. Though different in expression, they were all driven by fear. Jesus shows in this passage what a response in faith actually looks like, one that is devoid of human crippled fear. And He alone can strengthen us by His Holy Spirit that resides within us when we respond faithfully, even when it seems like everyone else in our lives deserts us and all the circumstances seem completely out of control. And we feel nothing but that loneliness that maybe these men felt that night. Jesus was left entirely alone by man in His last moments, and He was rejected or neglected by the Father so that He could redeem all of mankind. He had to be left alone. In order to save mankind and revive what was a dead and dying world, He had to stand alone if even that aloneness was only momentary. Would you today respond to Jesus if it meant responding alone? Would you respond today to Him in fear because of your circumstances, or would you respond to Him in faith because of the very character of your Lord, the very character of God and the Father? Would you be willing to give up yourself and the fight for yourself like Jesus did, willingly walking, not needing shackles to, by your captures to take you away? You just willingly go because this is what the Father wanted. This is what it means to be a disciple. This is why Jesus said, you cannot otherwise be my disciple unless you daily take up your cross and follow me. I want to speak to something. Maybe right now, in this response to COVID-19, in our isolation and social distancing, maybe you right now feel alone and isolated and you feel as if you've been forgotten. But can I remind you, friend, that this morning, this isolation, this social distancing is only momentary. And maybe our Lord is doing it in an effort to revive us all, but momentarily isolating us so that He, by His Spirit, can woo us individually back unto Himself. Maybe He desires to revive our heart back to Him. And maybe we can just turn and face the lover of our soul. And because we can't come for someone else, we can only come to Jesus and respond to Him individually by ourselves. We're not responsible for others respond to Him. Maybe our turning and our repenting and responding to Him in genuine faith and love might beckon the coming of others to Him as well. You see, in this passage and in this series of people becoming, Jesus is looking for a church that will be as resolved as He was to do whatever the Father asks of us. This morning, I don't know if you're someone who could stand alone and go through the trial and face the ridicule of capturers, stand trial if you need be to stand for the character of God, or if you've placed enough faith in that very 
character to have that kind of resolve. But I promise for anyone who is a disciple, the very Spirit of God has been placed within you, and His Holy Spirit can beckon all of heaven and strengthen us from within, even when we humanly feel frail. Today, maybe you have had these kind of responses in the past. And maybe the only appropriate response that we see here is the response that Mark was reflecting on at the beginning of chapter 14. And that was that there is nothing less less, uh, important than you. There is nothing that rivals your pricelessness, Jesus. So I'm going to take the most expensive thing that I have in my hands and I'm going to pour it over you. I'm going to anoint your head. I'm going to anoint your feet. I'm going to throw myself at your feet and show devotion to you because I love you with all that I am, like the first commandment says, and I love others just like you did. Maybe today that could be your response as you turn back to the lover of your soul. And I want you to hear again, in grace, Jesus responded to people who didn't respond like that in this passage, those three responses. He responded to them with grace. Maybe you're here and you, uh, maybe you have wrongly betrayed Jesus like a whitewashed tomb as the gospels speaks and Jesus challenges the Pharisees maybe you have shown a devotion in your lips or with your actions but your heart is far from him and just like Judas you betray him with a sign of endearment but your heart isn't truly his maybe this morning um, you've wrongfully defended by the sword Maybe you have walked with Jesus for a while and you have come to odds with someone else who walks with Him but interprets walking with Him differently than you and so you felt the, the need to rise up and defend Jesus and instead of being united like He prayed that we would be in the high priestly prayer, you have actually fought your brother in an effort to be right. Maybe, maybe you have faced so many circumstances that were out of your control that scared you so much that you didn't even care if you had to flee naked, exposing your lack of faith. You ran off into the night just to save your own skin. This morning, I come to you and I just ask that no matter what Jesus might be doing as he enters your living room, as you sit there in the privacy of your own home, the sanctity of your own home, to respond to him in obedience and worship, I have this question. Will you respond today in fear, or will you respond today in faith? Will you pray with me? Father, today we come, and may we, your church, a people becoming more like you and less like ourselves, respond more like the woman with perfume and less like the falsely devoted or those who falsely defend you, or less like those who uh, in foolishness desert you in the nude and run off only exposing our lack of trust in you. God, I pray today that you'd be so present by your spirit that we could not deny you as we lift up Jesus' name. May we turn even on our couch or in our living room or wherever we are watching this, may we turn our eyes and hearts to the one who seeks to embrace us, the lover of our soul, and has grace for us. May we turn from a life of abandoning you and be, be resolved Be resolved to trust you and follow you wherever you may take us. Father, we may be isolated momentarily, but God, you might be doing this to revive us all. I pray today you would find your church faithful to respond however you ask in Jesus' name. Amen.